It's the 30th of April in the year of our salvation, 2009. In the newer Roman calendar for the Novus Ordo, today is the feast day of St. Pope Pius V. And today we welcome Pope Pius as our guest for this podcast. Uh, Pope Pius, who died on the 1st of May in 1572, gave Holy Church a great gift, a gift called the Missali Romanum. Well, today we are going to drill into the document by which Pope Pius promulgated that great liturgical book which changed the history of the world. St. Pope Pius V, Antonio Ghislieri, was born in northern Italy in 1504. He became a Dominican friar, taught theology, and eventually became a bishop and then a cardinal, and was finally elected to the See of Peter in 1566. And there he reigned unto the 1st of May, 1572. Now to this pope was given to close the Council of Trent, which had been going on for decades, and also to defend the Catholic faith and Holy Church by guiding the Counter-Reformation and conducting the restoration of a Catholic identity in Rome and implementing a liturgical reform of the Missal and the breviary mandated by the Council, and also putting out a catechism uh, that the council had ordered, a catechism that would be useful for pastors who had to preach the faith to their flocks. Pius V also supported a holy league against the Turks, and that league was victorious at the Battle of Lepanto in 1571. Uh, Pius V was also a great defender and promoter of a clear Catholic faith and a good, solid Catholic identity against the contemporary attacks of his day. A little different than the attacks we have now, but his attacks were no less dangerous than the ones that we have now, and he was a faithful defender of the church. And a primary component of his defense of the faith and our Catholic identity was the very famous liturgical reform that he conducted. Now, Pius V standardized the liturgical practice of the Roman Church, which had, of course, developed under various influences over the centuries, uh, since at least the time of the great Saint Pope Gregory I. And uh, in many respects, uh, before Pope Gregory, all the way back to Leo the Great and before. And then he promulgated this standardized practice for the use of the whole Latin church in a single Roman rite, in a standard book, which by law had to be very closely copied throughout the world. Of course, Pius understood that the uniformity of prayer and worship was to reflect both our unity in faith as well as foster that unity, because there is, of course, a reciprocal relationship between how we pray and what we believe. If we believe certain things, we will pray a certain way. If we pray a certain way, we will come to reinforce our belief. So the document by which Pius promulgated that first edition, or Editio Princeps, 
of the Roman Missal in 1570 was an apostolic constitution issued uh, as a bowl, that meant it had you know, like big lead seals on it and so forth, called Quo Primum, from the first two words of the text. And uh, very soon after that, new editions of the Roman Missal were printed in Rome and distributed throughout the world so that they could be closely copied. And um, in that uh, Quo Primum, Pius said, this is the way it's going to be forever. Of course, what that meant, you know, what Pius meant by that is it's going to be this way until I change it, until I decide to change it. Not just any old Tom, Dick, or Harry could change this. It's going to remain forever this way until the Roman pontiff might deign to make any alterations. And in fact, very soon after the new editions of the Editio Princeps of 1570 were put out, Pius himself made some additions and changes. As a matter of fact, he very soon thereafter uh, implemented the, inserted the Feast of the Rosary into the calendar. Now, you might, uh, of course, argue that that isn't a substantive change to the rite of Mass. It's a change in the calendar. Well, that's true. It's very, very true. And in all of the revisions of the Roman Missal that took place down through the centuries after 1570, the basic structure of the Missal remained untouched until, uh, I guess we could argue, about 1955 when Pius XII changed the Holy Week ceremonies. But the fact remains that very shortly after Pius uh, issued that first Missal. About 34 years later, there was a major revision of the Missal, which uh, came about, and at which point some prayers were shortened or eliminated, and some rubrics were added, and uh, the new edition of the Vulgate, Latin Vulgate, had to be adopted for readings and so forth, so there were changes, actually. Uh, we must, all, of course, remember that when Pius uh, issued this by his own apostolic authority, all of Pius's successors would enjoy that same apostolic authority. They didn't have any less authority or less power than Pius V. And so they could, they had the right, the juridical right, to make uh, alterations to the Roman Missal as they saw fit according to the circumstances of their day. Now, you all know about the great controversy which has uh, raged between promoters of the older uh, traditional form of Holy Mass, uh, which some people call uh, the Tridentine Mass, because, uh, as I mentioned before, it flowed forth from a command of the Council of Trent to standardize a Roman Missal. It's also called by some the Gregorian Rite, because... Uh, many scholars have identified its have identified its roots in what uh, Pope Gregory the Great did back in the late sixth century. People call it the extraordinary form or extraordinary use, which is what Benedict the Sixteenth calls it in uh, Summorum Pontificum. Sometimes it's called the usus antiquior, very fancy sounding, just meaning the older use in Latin, and 
people will sometimes call it the Pian Rite because it was codified uh, by Pope Pius. And, um, of course, on the other side, there's the newer post-conciliar form, which is nicknamed the Novus Ordo because at the time it was a new order of Mass, very different from the old order of Mass. It's sometimes called the ordinary form or ordinary use for obvious reasons, and some people call it the Pauline Rite because it was Pope Paul VI who promulgated it with his own apostolic constitution called Missali Romanum in 1969. Now, for many years, people claimed incorrectly that the older form of the Roman Missal, originally promulgated by Pius V, and uh, revised in various editions all the way down to the beginning of the council, the last edition being 1962, they claimed falsely that the older form of Mass, the Tridentine form of Mass, had been abrogated. Now, abrogated here is a technical term in the church's law, meaning uh, completely revoked. It's the revo- Abrogation is the revocation of a law in a very complete way. But in the interpretation of the church's law, we know that when there is a case of doubt, uh, as in the case of uh, a seeming conflict of, for example, a newer law with an older law, we are not supposed to assume that the older law was abrogated. There has to be a clarification. It has to be made really clear. Now, as a result, sometimes clarifications were sought from the Holy See, but the Holy See never issued anything definitive about it. They never resolved this question about abrogation all the way down until 2007 when His Holiness Pope Benedict ended the debate once and for all by stating that Paul VI's uh, implementation of the Novus Ordo did not abrogate the older use of Mass. In other words, when Paul VI put out the Apostolic Constitution, Missali Romanum, it didn't completely like suppress or abolish or end forever in a total way the older form. Now, we knew pretty much that that was the case already, because as soon as Paul VI had put out the new order of Mass, the Novus Ordo, permission was given to older priests to continue to say the older form without having to adjust to the newer form. Well, you know, some people might say, well, that was just just an excuse because his older people couldn't make the change. Well, you know, that's fine, but the fact remains that it remained in use and it was permitted to be used. Uh, If I am not mistaken, uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva de Balaguer Uh, had that uh, permission to continue to use the older form of Mass, even though there was a new order. Then, of course, there was the indult that uh, Cardinal Heenan had obtained from Paul VI for uh, England to continue to use the older form under certain circumstances. And then in 1984, with a document called Quatuor Abing Annos, Pope John Paul II Uh, gave uh, permission to bishops to allow the use of the older missal. And that permission was expanded in 1988 with the modu proprio Ecclesia Dei Afflicta after the illicit consecrations in Icone by Archbishop Lefebvre. 
Uh, but of course, you know, we know as a fact that very few bishops were as generous in spirit regarding that concession uh, than uh, John Paul actually commanded, and he commanded it by his apostolic authority, but you know, I digress. And uh, finally, to make a long story short, Benedict XVI, as I mentioned before, removed all doubt about this by stating clearly, with Summorum Pontificum, that the older form of Mass had never been abrogated. And he also removed the task of making the difficult decisions about you know, where and when to implement or you know, use the provisions or use the older form of Mass. He removed that heavy burden from the backs of already overworked bishops, and he placed it in the hands of pastors of churches. So now, every priest of the Latin church, if he has the faculties to say Mass, can also use the older form of the Roman Missal, not just the Novus Ordo, but also the older order as well. It goes all the way back to Pius V's Quo Primum and beyond, back into the centuries, even a thousand years before. This is continuity, liturgical continuity. But let's go back to Pius V's Modu Proprio Quo Primum, uh, not Modu Proprio, Apostolic Constitution Quo Primum. Now, back in 1570, Pius put expressions into the document, such as, let all everywhere adopt and observe what has been handed down by the Holy Roman Church, the mother and teacher of the other churches, and let masses not be sung or read according to any other formula than that of this missal promulgated by us. This ordinance applies henceforth now and forever throughout all the provinces of the Christian world. Nevertheless, we know that exceptions were allowed from the start, and Pius the, uh, you know, Pius the fifth, by his own apostolic authority, once again began to alter the Missal, and other popes began to alter the Missal you know, pretty much right away. So what was Pius doing in making those extravagant, putting those extravagant phrases of perpetuity into his document? Well, he was really, especially, trying to protect the editions of the Missal he was putting out from being altered incorrectly or improperly by people who thought they knew better. In other words, altered by local authorities, ecclesiastical authorities even, or civil authorities maybe who had you know, political bones to pick or, you know, based on the religious revolts that were going on at the time, or even by, you know, publishers who were going to print copies. And remember, those were very different days in the technology and the culture of printing. It was still, you know, pretty much like the Wild West out there. Anybody could produce an edition of whatever they wanted if they had the means. And uh, some people, I suppose, would have both uh, the political and theological desire to uh, alter what uh, perhaps uh, the Pope had promulgated. So in order to protect the integrity of the text, he used um, you know, very extreme, uh, clear language and very harsh penalties. But obviously, Pius's own successors had the very same authority that Pius had. And uh, he, they could alter the text uh, depending on the circumstances that they were facing. And uh, indeed, they did. Uh, 
as I mentioned, you know, Pius himself uh, inserted uh, uh, new feasts. Uh, Clement VIII made a general revision of the Missal, and um, Pope Urban VIII did, and uh, Leo XIII did, and Pius XI, and Pius XII. And so Paul VI, by the time we get down to him, he had the authority to make changes in the Roman Missal, or even promulgate his own, which he did. He had the juridical authority even to abrogate it, to totally suppress the older form of Mass. But the fact is that he did not do that. Paul VI's Apostolic Constitution, Missale Romanum, issued a new form of the Roman Missal, but it did not suppress the older form. The language is simply not clear enough in Paul VI's constitution for us to conclude that he intended totally to abolish or to abrogate the older form. And, of course, uh, since there was a you know, conflict, of, in, there was a doubt uh, in the conflict between the older and the newer law, you can't assume that there was an abrogation. We, we can conclude that the older mass lost its privileged position as the sole expression of the Roman rite, but it nevertheless remained a legitimate Roman rite, protected also by the custom of uninterrupted centuries, not just decades. And uh, the exceptions that were granted uh, right away by Paul VI demonstrate that it wasn't abrogated. And, of course, this was you know officially challenged a couple of times. Uh, there were, you know, of course, any number of progressivist writers who were enemies of the older form of Mass who claim more or less on their own that uh, the older Mass was indeed abolished totally. They're wrong. That the only evidence uh, that they really present is, you know, really their animus. But uh, there were uh, some more serious challenges. For example, uh, the late Father Annibali Bunini uh, of the Concilium set up to implement the uh, changes uh, to the liturgy mandated by the Council. He said in his book, The Reform of the Liturgy, 1948 to 1975, that he had asked for an explicit ruling of the question from the Pontifical Commission for the Interpretation of Conciliar Documents back in 1974. But he, in order to be able to present such a thing officially and then obtain a, a, an authentic interpretation, he had first to obtain permission from the Secretary of State. And the Secretary of State denied permission for that question to be put uh, for an official response because, the, as you know, obviously they recognized that uh, a negative you know, response uh, or you know, saying that, yes, it was completely abrogated, would have cast odium on the liturgical tradition of the church which is you know not acceptable i mean you, you just can't you can't do that we should also uh remember that uh, paul the sixth uh said the older priests could continue the older form he gave permission to cardinal heenan of westminster for the use of the old thing you know 10 years later john paul the second so look it's absolutely clear that it wasn't abrogated so quo primum of Pius V was a real landmark in the defense of the Catholic Church and of Catholic identity, and he placed the weight of his own authority in the text so that it wouldn't be distorted in those kind of wild times of 16th century printing and in the very highly charged religious and political climate uh, that it would face in different countries, as especially as a theological revolt was raging in the North. And all of that weight, however, that Pius 
had couldn't juridically bind his successors because subsequent popes would have the same authority that Pius had and they could make changes if they want to, and they did. They had the right to supplant it as the primary expression of the Roman right, and Paul VI did. And popes uh, such as Paul VI could have suppressed the old missal, but they didn't. So the older form of the Roman Rite still lives on, and it's gaining visibility and devotion one more time because of Pope Benedict XVI's de-restriction of it. And this is part, I think, of Benedict's plan to reinvigorate our liturgical life and our Catholic identity, in a way not too dissimilar from what Pope Pius V was trying to do in his day with the threats that he saw to the Church and to the faith and to our identity. So I think we should pray to Pope Pius V to aid Pope Benedict XVI's efforts. So now, let's hear Quo Primum and get a taste for the style and the content of this very interesting historic document. And you might tune your ears to the following little points. These are just, you know, a few of the things that I find interesting. I'm sure you'll find your own. First, Anyone who uses the internet, any you know person you know born after, in the electronic age, uh, will notice right away how he talks about this timetable by which the decrees are going to go into force. Because of course, back in those days, there was no simultaneous translation or transmission of a document around the world. Uh, another point uh, that you'll notice is that if a Latin rite had been confirmed for use in a place, some like local church, for at least 200 years, then priests in that place could continue to use it. And this was the case, for example, in Milan with the Ambrosian Rite, or in Portugal with the Braga Rite. However, even if there was a local rite still permitted, nevertheless, no priest could be prevented from using this new Roman Missal exactly as it was printed. He couldn't be forced by a superior into doing things according to local customs that weren't in the Roman Missal. Uh, also, there is uh, expressed a very stern warning that someone who violates the, uh, the decrees of this document by doing so is offending God and incurring his wrath. And the Roman Missal that Pius uh, promulgates itself would indicate in all its subsequent editions up to the time of the council that violating certain things in the rubrics also was a sinful thing to do. Now the new liturgical books leave out a reference to sin in uh, regard to uh, liturgical abuses or defects. And finally, uh, listen to the way the pious describes the method by which they put together this edition of the Missal that editio princeps, with the consultation of manuscripts and experts. It sounds very modern, really. It sounds very much like the methods that were used to put together the Novus Ordo. Of course, the difference was that they wanted to standardize a form of the Roman Rite rather than make something entirely new based on the Roman Rite. And so what they produced was an organic development in continuity with the past, rather than a synthetic production or an artificial production of a new missile. So those are just a few little points to listen to. Let's hear now Pope Pius V 
speaking to us from across the centuries in Quo Primo. Pius Episcopus, servus servorum Dei, ad perpetuam rei memoriam. Quo primum tempore, ad apostolatus apicem a subti fuimus, ad ea libenteranimum viresque nostras intendimus, Pius, Bishop, Servant of the Servants of God, for an everlasting memorial. Upon our elevation to the apostolic throne, we gladly turned our mind and energies and directed all our thoughts to the matter of preserving incorrupt the public worship of the Church, and we have striven with God's help by every means in our power to achieve that purpose. Whereas amongst other decrees of the Holy Council of Trent, we were charged with revision and reissue of the sacred books, to wit the Catechism, the Missal, and the Breviary, and whereas we have with God's consent published a catechism for the instruction of the faithful and thoroughly revised the breviary for the due performance of the divine office, we next, in order that missal and breviary might be in perfect harmony, as is right and proper, considering that it is altogether fitting that there should be in the church only one appropriate manner of psalmody and one sole rite of celebrating Mass, deemed it necessary to give our immediate attention to what still remained to be done, namely the re-editing of the Missal with the least possible delay. We resolved accordingly to delegate this task to a select committee of scholars, and they, having at every stage of their work and with utmost care collated the ancient codices in our Vatican library, and reliable original or amended codices from elsewhere, and having also consulted the writing of the ancient and approved authors who have bequeathed to us records relating to the said sacred rites, thus restored the Missal itself to the pristine form and rites of the Holy Fathers. When this production had been subjected to close scrutiny and further amended, we, after mature consideration, ordered that the final result be forthwith printed and published in Rome, so that all may enjoy the fruits of this labor, that priests may know what prayers to use, and what rites and ceremonies they are to use henceforward in the celebration of Masses. Now, therefore, in order that all everywhere may adopt and observe what has been delivered to them by the Holy Roman Church, mother and mistress of the other churches, it shall be unlawful henceforth and forever throughout the Christian world to sing or to read Masses according to any formula other than that of this Missal published by us. This ordinance to apply to all churches and chapels, with or without care of souls, patriarchal, collegiate, and parochial, 
be they secular or belonging to any religious order, whether of men, including the military orders, or of women, in which conventual masses are or ought to be sung aloud in choir or read privately according to the rites and customs of the Roman Church, to apply, moreover, even if the said churches have been in any way exempted, whether by indult of the apostolic see, by custom, by privilege, or even by oath or apostolic confirmation, or have their rights and faculties guaranteed to them in any other way whatsoever, saving only those in which the practice of saying Mass differently was granted over two hundred years ago, simultaneously with the apostolic see's institution and confirmation of the Church, and those in which there has prevailed a similar custom followed continuously for a period of not less than two hundred years, in which cases we in no wise rescind their prerogatives or customs aforesaid. Nevertheless, if this missal, which we have seen fit to publish, be more agreeable to these last, we hereby permit them to celebrate Mass according to this rite, subject to the consent of their bishop or prelate, and of their whole chapter, all else to the contrary, notwithstanding. All other churches aforesaid are hereby denied the use of other missals, which are to be wholly and entirely rejected. And by this present constitution, which shall have the force of law in perpetuity, we order and enjoin under pain of our displeasure that nothing be added to our newly published missal, nothing omitted therefrom, and nothing whatsoever altered therein. We specifically command each and every patriarch, administrator, and all other persons of whatsoever ecclesiastical dignity, be they even cardinals of the Holy Roman Church, or possessed of any other rank or preeminence, and we order them by virtue of holy obedience to sing or to read the Mass according to the rite and manner and norm herein laid down by us, and henceforward to discontinue and utterly discard all other rubrics and rites of other missals, howsoever ancient, which they have been accustomed to follow, and not to presume in celebrating Mass to introduce any ceremonies or recite any prayers other than those contained in this missal. Furthermore, by these presents and by virtue of our apostolic authority, we give and grant in perpetuity that for the singing or reading of Mass in any church whatsoever, this missal may be followed absolutely, without any scruple of conscience or fear of incurring any penalty, judgment, or censure, and may be freely and lawfully used. Nor shall bishops, administrators, canons, chaplains, and other secular priests or religious of whatsoever order, or by whatsoever title designated, be obliged to celebrate Mass otherwise than enjoined by us. We likewise order and declare that no one whosoever shall be forced or coerced into altering this missal, and this present constitution can never be revoked or modified, but shall forever remain valid and have the force of law, notwithstanding previous constitutions or edicts of provincial or synodal councils, and notwithstanding the usage of the churches aforesaid established by very long and even immemorial prescription, saving only usage of more than two hundred years. 
Consequently, it is our will, and by the same authority we decree, that one month after publication of this our Constitution and Missal, priests of the Roman Curia shall be obliged to sing or to read the Mass in accordance therewith. Others south of the Alps, after three months, those who live beyond the Alps, after six months, or as soon as the Missal becomes available for purchase. Furthermore, in order that the said missal may be preserved incorrupt and kept free from defects and errors, the penalty for non-observance in the case of all printers resident in the territory directly or indirectly subject to ourselves and the Holy Roman Church shall be forfeiture of their books and a fine of one hundred gold ducats payable ipso facto to the apostolic treasury. In the case of those resident in other parts of the world, it shall be excommunication latte sententiae, and all other penalties at our discretion, and by our apostolic authority and the tenor of these presents. We also decree that they must not dare or presume either to print or to publish or to sell or in any way to take delivery of such books without our approval and consent or without express permission of the apostolic commissary in the said parts appointed by us for that purpose. Each of the said printers must receive from the aforementioned commissary a standard missal to serve as an exemplar for subsequent copies, which, when made, must be compared with the exemplar and agree faithfully therewith, varying in no wise from the first impression printed in Rome. But, since it would be difficult for this present Constitution to be transmitted to all parts of the world and to come to the notice of all concerned simultaneously, we direct that it be, as usual, posted and published at the doors of the Basilica of the Prince of the Apostles, at those of the Apostolic Chancery, and at the end of the Campo de Fiori. Moreover, we direct that printed copies of the same, signed by a notary public and authenticated with the seal of an ecclesiastical dignitary, shall possess the same unqualified and indubitable validity everywhere and in every country that would attend the display there of our present text. Accordingly, no one whosoever is permitted to infringe or rashly contravene this notice of our permission, statute, ordinance, command, direction, grant, indult, declaration, will, decree, and prohibition. Should any person venture to do so, let him understand that he will incur the wrath of Almighty God and of the blessed Apostles Peter and Paul. Given at St. Peter's, Rome, in the year of our Lord's Incarnation, 1570, on the 14th day of July, in the fifth year of our pontificate. Nulli ergo omnino hominum dice ad hanc paginam nostre permissionis, statuti, ordinationis, mandati, precepti, concessionis, indulti, declarationis, voluntatis, decreti et inhibitionis infringere, vel ei ausu temeratio contraire. Si quis autem hoc attentare presumserit, indignationem omnipotentis Dei, ac Beatorum Petri Pauli Apostolorum Eius se novirit incursurum. Datum Rome, apud Sanctum Petrum, anno incarnationis Dominice millesimo, quingentesimo, septuagesimo, pridie idus judii, pontificatus nostri, anno quinto.
That was Pope Pius V speaking to us across the centuries in Quo Primum, the Apostolic Constitution, by which he gave Holy Church the great gift of the first edition of the Missali Romanum, the Roman Missal. He was faithful to the Council of Trent, which required that there should be a new Roman catechism useful for preaching, and that was the catechism all the way down to the catechism of the Catholic Church, and also a breviary for priests and religious to say the, the office, to pray the hours during the hours of the day for the sanctification of the church. And then, of course, the Missali Romanum, giving us a standard worship throughout the Christian world in the face of the attacks that were on the church and on Catholic identity and on the faith in those times. Now, there are a lot of interesting things to pick up on in Quo Primum, but I want to return to the issue of the permission that was given by him for use of older rites in those places where they were in use for at least 200 years. And, on the other hand, and this is the interesting part, for any priest anywhere to use the Roman Missal, even if he was in one of those places where there was a local rite, you see, what Pius did, even within those very stern strictures and you know, harsh-sounding decrees, what Pius did was give a measure of freedom. Even if a priest was in a place where there was an old Latin rite preserved, he had the freedom to use the Roman rite and to use it as it was written. However, what happened after Paul VI promulgated his own constitution, Missali Romanum, which gave us the Novus Ordo, even when there was a, you know, kind of a, he did preserve that, that, you know, 200 year thing or that venerable rite thing, even though it was like an updated version of the Roman rite, or the Ambrosian rite in Milan, it did continue, you see. But nevertheless, priests were effectively denied the freedom to use the older form of the Roman rite even though it was far more than 200 years old, and even though it wasn't really abrogated. So on the one hand, there remained a kind of a spirit of freedom, but on the other hand, I think there was, subsequent to what Paul VI uh, issued, there was a real clear spirit of repression. And I think that it was that repressive spirit that led Pope Benedict to write in his letter accompanying uh, his motu proprio Summorum Pontificum that, and I quote now, There is no contradiction between the two editions of the Roman Missal. In the history of the liturgy there is growth and progress, but no rupture. What earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too, and it cannot be all of a sudden entirely forbidden or even considered harmful. It behooves all of us to preserve the riches which have developed in the church's faith and prayer and to give them their proper place. Needless to say, in order to experience full communion, the priests of the communities adhering to the former usage cannot, as a matter of principle, exclude celebrating according to the new books. The total exclusion of the new rite would not in fact be consistent with the recognition of its value and holiness. So that was 
Pope Benedict XVI expanding on the attitude that we should have concerning the continuity of the church's prayer, past and present. And uh, I think there's one other point that I'd like to pick up on. Uh, the fact that if there was, you know, historically, some priest in some uh, place where there was a local rite, say he was in Braga in Portugal, uh, he was free to use the Roman Missal, but he was also free to use the Missal as it was written. And no superior, even a bishop, was to try to force him to interpolate elements that were not in the Missal. He was free to use the Missal as it was written. He was free to say the black and do the red as it actually was in the pages of the Missal. And he was protected by Quo Primum. Now, the very interesting thing about this is the uh, contrast with the modern day in which a lot of people uh, claim, you know, freedom in the spirit of the Second Vatican Council and so forth to do just about anything they want to to the Roman Missal as Paul VI promulgated it, the Novus Ordo. And, well, I think we have to say the oppressive attitude of some ecclesiastical superiors over priests under them, uh, forcing them to commit liturgical abuses against their will simply because they have determined that this is the way it's going to be done in this parish, even though it has nothing to do with the rubrics of the texts. It's just a, a little ironic point that I don't really wish to expand on any further. With that, I'm going to wrap this up. Please come and visit us at the blog. That's WDTPRS.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. And if that's just a little too challenging to tell your friends, you can also get there by finding FatherZonline.com. That's F E T H E R Z Online.com. There are a lot of good conversations, a lot of good people who uh, chime in with their views on the entries that I post. Some of them uh, need to learn maybe to edit themselves a little bit, but for the most part I think things uh, progress rather cordially, and many people I think are helped by the discussions and the information that people exchange. So come along and contribute. And uh, if you would be so kind, please remember to pray for me as I will for you.